Peter <clears throat> chapter 4. I pray you sing the songs this morning with heartfelt um, meaning in your life. Uh, some good, good words to those songs. So, <clears throat> excuse me, we're continuing with 1 Peter today. Peter, who was called to be an apostle of Christ, who ministered with Christ three years, seeing and doing miraculous things with Christ, who was part of an apostle inner circle with James and John, the three being eyewitnesses in the Mount of Transfiguration, who were an eyewitness of the resurrection of Christ, who was told by Jesus to feed his lambs and sheep just before his ascension, who at the day of Pentecost, filled with the Holy Spirit, preached and saw 3,000 get saved at one point, at one time. Then later, 5,000 were saved. Who, Peter, having performed many great miracles, seeing many saved, then suffering persecution, then seeing the power of God, then persecution, then seeing God work, again followed by persecution. Who before his death had penned the words that would be part of the Holy Scriptures. And I say penned, we're going to find out that, that he didn't actually pen, at least, First Peter. Um, <clears throat> but he was the author of it. Today we continue to preach and teach sequentially out of the books of First Peter and Second Peter. And we're going to pick up where we left off, beginning with First Peter chapter 4, verse 12. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Let's pray. Father, <clears throat> as we open up your word, we ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. Lord God, that um, your mighty power, your word and, and its working in our lives would work today. Lord God, that we would be humbled and brought low of such a high and wonderful God. And as we, just, as we study through Peter's writings, we will see some common things that he will talk about. And may we take those to heart, and may you speak to our hearts through these, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, beginning in verse 12 of chapter 4. Says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad with the, also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, Happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. You might be very well thinking as we've gone, been going through First Peter, didn't Peter just pretty much say the same thing in the first three chapters of First Peter? Yep, he did. And he will continue to in Peter's short two epistles, especially in 1 Peter, he is found to have repeating 
themes. The theme of suffering for doing right as a Christian, as an expectation of our life as a Christian, that we are to be happy because God rests upon you with the result of God being praised and glorified is repeated some 12 times in these short epistles. Remember, Peter was speaking to those who were in great persecution of that day. But here are some other themes repeated from least to greatest. Now, the numbers are general. You might count them a little different, but they should be pretty relative to each other. I, I just read through the epistles, and I started making a theme and started putting check marks where that theme's repeated or that thought. So we're going to work from the bottom up from the sense of the things that he repeated the least of to the things that he repeated the most of, but they're all repeated. Let's first begin with themes that I found to be repeated two to three times in his epistles. The foreknowledge of God. The resurrection of Christ. The blood of Christ and his sufferings. Prayer, vigilance, and resisting evil. The word sober is used three times. It is used four times in Titus and two times in 1 Timothy, referring to maturity, leadership, and teaching. Now, sober is not just not being drunk, okay? It's being not silly, giddy, flighty, and unstable. But rather, it's about being grounded stable and consistent, sober, sober living. If you think about it like a building, you are to be a building that nobody would think anything about it supporting them. You've been in buildings where, man, you ooh, better watch every step. The boards are rotted, not supported, not, not built right. We're called to be sober. Peter, of all the Old Testament references, I just, this, this is just kind of interesting to me. He references back to the time of the flood. So some of these things will help you uh, as you think. I, I'm trying to remember that verse, you know, it was in reference to the flood and this and that. And I go to Peter. Growing in grace is a theme. Being holy or separated is a theme. And another theme repeated two to three times, that we are not to suffer having done wrong. Now, here are the things repeated four to five times. The reference and teaching of the Holy Ghost or the Spirit of God. Of seeking peace. The example of Christ in our living. That Christ gives us the example that we're to live after. Peter setting things in particular for us to put in remembrance. He says that I want to put these things in remembrance for you. Things not to forget. And then the girding or arming or training of our mind. Now we're going to step up. Here are the things repeated six to eight times. Loving the brotherhood and taking care of one another. Submission, obedience, and authority relationships. And judgment is coming. Things referred to nine to ten times 
to have our heart fixed at the end of our life, what lays ahead to exercise patience for the outcome. That's listed a lot and pounded into us that we need to get our minds out here. If we get them in here into the circumstances we're, we're doing, we need to, to know what's, what's ahead, what God's promises are. And it takes time, sometimes a long time to get there. He also speaks many times about our conversation or our tongue or our lips as a, as a major theme. And then looking to the Word of God is repeated many, many times. Now, rounding out our list, and the two top themes are these. The number two theme is this. And many biblical scholars would say it's the number one theme, and I would agree with them to this extent, but I'll tell you just later what the number one theme is, and it'll make sense. But the number two theme is that is what we just read in the beginning of our text. The theme of the Christian suffering, how we are to view it, to realize that God is resting upon you with the end result of praise and glory to God and the eternal reward associated with it. That suffering is a part of Christian life. Probably most scholars would say Peter's, uh, what he's talking about there in First Peter is all about suffering. But the top theme, when I started making check marks, that I see is this. The distinguishing of the old man prior to salvation, how you were before you were saved, versus the new man after you were saved. Fifteen times, if you don't trust me, just think about that theme, and you can go back and read through them. Fifteen times Peter puts this comparison of the old man and the new man as far as, as the east is from the west. He pushes these out as opposites. He defines the old man as living in the former lusts. He used the word lust or lust eight times in his epistles. We are to recognize that we are not to live in those lusts. What are those lusts? Now, in our human minds, we get these frilly things or sensual things in our mind, which, yeah, it's uh, included, but lusts are just pining after the world. What do we pine after in the flesh? The best job, the most pay, most time off, the best vacations, the best house, the best cars, the best activities, our time, me time. It is the self-serving life. That's what we were born when we came in, to take care of, number one, me. We seek for the best things. We don't seek for anything but what we think is going to be best for us. It is a life where you control it. You are in control. It is the flesh's nature to get the best life this world has to offer, and that's what we're after. We know we struggle in this area of the flesh. We hate it when our plans for the day are interrupted, don't we? When God reminds us of a need for some others and we've got to drop what we're doing and go help somebody else. Or we don't and give the excuse we're too busy doing our thing. Of course, it's very needful at that time. It puts our plans on hold, doesn't it? 
it puts us behind in our goals. You're looking at a goal-oriented person, man. I have these ideas of where I want to get to, man, and I just strive after. You, you, you get in the way of me of that? It's a fleshly frustrating thing. <laughs> it's hard to let go of our life and let God run it. But Jesus did. Jesus did only what the Father told him to do. It was none of his will. It was all of God's will. The foundation of faith in Jesus Christ is making God's plans your plans. And you know when you get those, a lot of times it's just, what's going to happen today? The father of faith, Abraham, is the representation of this type of life of faithful living. Hebrews 11.8, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whither he went. I'm finding my life is less about goals. It's, it's just being moved day to day. It just shifts. Who knows what's going on? I struggle with it, to tell you the truth, because it's the flesh that struggles with that. It says, By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. <laughs> I know where that city is. It's not here. It's, it's, out, it's out there when I'm done. The new man, though, is motivated by a whole different mode of operation. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, not yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's easy words to say. Is that what you do? If we can't get over living for the old man and those things, if we can't get over that, if we can't get our focus on magnifying God in our lives, our lives will never be a compelling warning to the unbeliever. You just, you just mix in, buddy. The world needs to know there's a vast difference between the saved and the unsaved. True Christianity will be a stench in the nostrils of this world. Christianity is the enemy of this world. We don't purpose to offend the world. It is the result of living for God. As I was coming to church, I turned on the radio just to see what preacher's on. And uh, it was on 700 WLW. And you know what they were talking about? Uh, Kentucky's quarterback and how good he is and the whole thing, the college football and this and that and that and this. And so I turned over to 89.5 and there's this raspy owner, loud preacher. I like him. And he says, stand still and see the salvation of God. There's your difference. There's the old life for football and college football. It's sad. It's talking to who I know, who knows, who's been under great teaching at close to home. Uh, Mark. 
And we mentioned that we would have church this Sunday, which we're not over there, by the way. It's next Sunday. Mark says, well, I won't be there. I said, why? Then I finally read the football game. The Bengals are playing Pittsburgh. And he hates Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh hates Cincinnati. <laughs> he is going to miss church. Who knows better? Now, I'm not talking, you know, I know what that struggle is as you're growing in the Lord to let go of some things. But this guy knows. And he says, I'm not going to be there because this is more important. He has no testimony in that building whatsoever. It's sad. When we with our mouth and with our lives do not promote what thus saith the Lord, we're not going to be offensive to this world. We'll fall into safe havens of dead religious routines. We fall into fear and submission to this world. And let me give you an example. Um, the electric company sent out a guy to, uh, to, to let Tim and Esther know um, what they would do as far as the electrical coming into their, their new home. And so uh, Esther was there, Tim was at work, and then I caught him at the end and began talking with him and he's telling me you know the things and we get into the conversation about God I find out he's a Christian I like what he said he's from a church of Christ he's been there for like 15 years and he's in his mid-30s has a couple young children and he says he ran into an incident <laughs> at their business meeting and he said you know how business meetings are and outside the business meeting Outside the windows is a lady and a guy just fighting. And he said he didn't know everything that went on, but apparently what happened, they were fighting. She was mad. She went out and laid out in the middle of the road. Other people saw it in the church. Just laid out State Route 28. He didn't know that at the time. He says the pastor there, goes, and this lady's in the car. The guy has left, and she's got the car door open, and it's, you know, obviously broken up about things. The pastor goes and locks the door. So he kind of sees out there what's going on. Apparently, ladies, it's like confusing him. What, what in the world is church about I mean we have this opportunity here somebody's struggling somebody has a need right in our parking lot so he goes out and he talks to the girl he slips out and uh, says if you if you need anything the doors are open and he unlocked the door the girl comes in a little later and they're surprised because they had locked the door and he's, you know, so he turned back to, to the girl and said, you know, if there's anything you need, let us know. And she said, well, she was reading the Bible. She said, well, you know, I had a hard time with, you know, an argument with my boyfriend. But she said, I'll let you know. And she, she seemed to be 
change the way he said to even be more spiritual than the rest of the church. He said afterwards he went and he talked with the pastor trying to understand what this is. And the pastor, you know, well, it looks, looks like we may have, you know, failed at an opportunity. And he, and he said this, he said, I think we've been failing all along, and this is what happens when you fail all along. It's not like we had these great successes, but we weren't even prepared for, for one opportunity here. We didn't have our minds set around. He's just like, what is church, in his mind, what is church about if we can't serve and, you know, run some risks and, and get out there and do something for God? You know, we were born in the flesh to live after the flesh. We are born again to kill the lust of the flesh and to live in the power and the spirit of God. When we do, we're going to offend this world. Don't worry about it. It is not our purpose to offend or judge the world. If we have that purpose in our mind, we fail in our witness for Christ. That's not our purpose. That's just something that happens. Christ's purpose was not to come into this world as a man to offend and to judge the world. His purpose was to save people from the judgment of sin, to be wrongfully treated for his good works. That was part of what he was going to do, to live a life step by step at the direction of his father, not of his own, to give his life for those who deserve it not. There's our example. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son, we forget this verse, into the world to condemn the world. He didn't come to condemn it. We're not going out to condemn people. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Jesus came to save people who are on their way to a devil's hell. I believe Peter's trying to help us to see there's two people. They're very far apart. They're saved and unsaved. We have a responsibility to that. But here's the rub. Our life and our witness, though positive, true, and well-meaning, will by default be offensive to those who refuse the truth, the light that will shed light upon their sin. Up at close to home, there's a fella up there, Jason. He hates God, I'll just tell you. I know I always say hi to him. Hi, Jason, how you doing? Then Patty chimed in and said, Jason's going to come to church one of these times. And I heard a Bible study. And he said, and I'm not a pushover either. And he, oh, but it's good. It's a good thing. As bad as that feels, and offensive as that feels, if we're reaching out to people with the right reason, and they're coming back hard on us, Peter's saying that's a good thing. But I'll tell you what, you'll never get there. That's why I think he repeats 15 times that you need to see the difference between the two, because you'll never get to any suffering. You just blend in. Are you blending in, folks? Or does your life represent somebody, oh, man, they're going to talk about God Stay away from And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. 
For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought. And God, there are seekers. We're looking for those seekers. Therefore, our witness or our testimony will produce persecution. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But the operative words are all that will live godly in the new man. Don't try to blend with the people around you. Don't try to use, speak the word of God. Speak the truth. Live the truth before him. Have a testimony. I'll tell you, you're going to have some troubles coming you do that. That's okay. Peter says this is good. It's a good thing. Now let's turn to the next portion of our scripture, continuing in the text of 1 Peter in verse 15. Again, you're going to hear these repetitive things. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. Whoa. Murderer, thief, and right next to it, busybody in other men's matters. What is busybody in other men's matters? Gossip. Talking about this and talking about this person. And did you hear that? Did you hear this? And did you hear that? Getting involved in a lot of people's other business that you have no part or dealings with in this life. And the devil loves it to, to wrap that around it. I'll tell you, when you, I was. It just came to me one time when I was listening on the radio to, they'd bring up a subject. And the one talk host would take this side. The other talk host would take this side. they get things all stirred up and they get calls coming in and bam, bam, bam. And you think, oh, he believes that, but he believes that. The next day, they might bring up the same subject, but then this one takes the other side and this one takes that side. It doesn't matter what side. They're just stirring stuff up. Get out of that. You're not to belong in that. You're put in with a murderer and as a thief in this scripture. It says, yet if any man suffers, verse 16, as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. The end of suffering for doing right as a Christian is the glorification of God in ourselves for sure and possibly to others. Peter makes sure that we understand that connection. Philippians 3.10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Sufferings are good, Christian. Being made conformable unto his death. Hebrews 2.10, for, for it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through what? Sufferings, through sufferings. That's how we're perfected, through sufferings. Verse 17 and 18, For the time is come that judgment must be begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, or where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? I'll tell you what, I was scarcely barely saved. Man, I don't, I don't know how God got a hold of me. 
I was unworthy, but God was merciful to me. I heard his word and I answered his call. It was a miracle. But here Peter makes a connection, the connection of the life of a Christian that they choose to live and the relativity of that to the unsaved. He then caps this with a conclusion for the Christians. Verse 19, Wherefore, let them that suffer, according to the will of God, commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Now going back to that story of that that girl who had a need, that church was fearful. Lock the door. What might happen? You know, you're going to go in one of two directions. Or you're going to get into it and you're going to say, you know, God's got control of this thing. I'm not to worry, you know. If the Holy Spirit leads you into something, there's some things that the Holy Spirit tells you not to do. But there are some things that you just need to do. We are to choose to suffer as a Christian as opposed to avoiding it, result, which we, results in the fear of man. Realizing that when we commit to the will of God, when we do right in difficult circumstances, God is faithful to take care of us. It casts out fear. Peter uses the word creator attached to faithful. A faithful creator, he says. God created us with uniqueness and purpose. We cannot fail when we live to his design and for his purpose in life. We can count on him as a faithful creator. He has everything perfectly designed for the perfect fulfillment in our life. Our life is hid in Christ. Peter had a personal lesson from the Lord concerning the differences between a life above the circumstances by keeping his focus on his Lord, who cannot fail, or living a life focused on the circumstances of life, which can do nothing but fail. Matthew 14, 22, I won't have you turn there. It's a very familiar portion of Scripture, and you'll know as soon as I start Reading it, what it's about. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. Now they're going to go on a ship and they're going to meet him on the other side. That means somehow he's going to get there before him, before they get there. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. See how fear comes in? But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come unto the end of the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Amidst all the circumstances, the sea was rough, the ship was tossed. But when he saw the wind boisterous, He was afraid and began to sink. He cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, 
Wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth thou art the Son of God. Peter's, first Peter is about suffering. That's the main theme of it. But to get to suffering, you have to be set apart living for God to offend the world that's going to cause suffering. Most of us, we don't like to suffer. We like our little routines. We like our little routines and going to church. We like our check marks. I did this for God. I did that for God. We live in this this, this thing that's in, totally ineffective. Peter says what's going to be effective is suffering. This is what's going to give glory to God. We want to do it the easy way. That's the, but that's just not the biblical, folks. Get out there. Here's what I'm saying. Get out there and start talking to people about spiritual things. Listen to them. Question them. They may come back and they may have all sorts of things and ah, this, this, and that, and that, and this, but the questions you give them will stay with them. It'll lead them. If it's biblical, they'll have to think about it. You're, you're, you're planting seeds. You may get to water the seed because somebody might be seeking. And you might have the opportunity to see somebody trust Christ. Anyway, you win. They might yell at you, you know. But it says if they yell at you and they, they deride you, you're to be happy because God is close with you. That's the fellowship of his sufferings. You're going to know Christ even greater in that. But we avoid that. We've got to stop avoiding those things. Think about it. What are conversations? Are they about Christ? I mean... It was wonderful that I talked to this guy from the electric company who was willing and wanted to talk about the things of God. But that's rare. We talk about the weather. We talk about the Kentucky quarterback. The Ohio State versus whoever. <laughs> Whatever it is, the Bengals, the Steelers. All about all that stuff. We need to push, push the envelope. That's what we're here for. Now let's turn to the last chapter of 1 Peter. We see, first, we see Peter first addressing spiritual leadership in the church. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. And the elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. He's talking to the leadership. And it's interesting. Remember what Jesus told him. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. He uses that same imagery here. He says, feed the flock of God, which is among you. Taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly. Not for filthy lucre, not for a paycheck. Tell you there is some preachers. They're professionals, and they're there for a paycheck. Some of them, I believe, aren't even saved. They just know how to speak. 
but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage. And there's some where I've seen that, where, you know, I'm the boss, I tell you what to do, and I could pass fear into you, but it's a manly fear into doing what you do, and guess what? You, you don't grow spiritually at all. I can tell you, you ought to give 10%. If not, you're, you're robbing God! I'm sorry. <laughs> That's what I'm not supposed to do. But I can tell you, that is for your good. Man, there's nothing here to give to God, to give more, to want to give, to want to, 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 to instill that, not to be Lord, but to appeal to your heart through the Scriptures. It says, but being examples to the flock. That's probably the... I am to be an example. And I need to do better at that. I need to be stronger. I need to be a better prayer warrior. I need to be a better witness. I need to lead the way. I need to be an example. It says, when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Here Again, he's saying... Keep that in mind, the future. <laughs> Repeating theme. Because this is tough. Now Peter addresses those under authority, then very quickly refers to a unilateral relationship with a special bonding agent, which is called humility. Humility does not have positional partiality. Positions of authority come with responsibilities, but never do they come with lordship, but rather leadership, servanthood, and leadership by example. He says in verses 5 through 7, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you, again, in due time. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Verses 8 and continuing. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is as a roaring lion, walking about seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. We are warned that there's a devil who is active, folks. Seeking to devour your testimony, to put you in prison where you can't give the gospel, where you can't give God the glory. We need to recognize this, not just in our own lives, but in the lives of all Christians. We are to pray for one for another. We are to, it says, resist, steadfast, and in the faith. James gives us a little more light on what it is we are resisting and how we are to resist and the power that is in that resistance. James chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. From whence come wars, and, and here's the problems and fightings among you. Come they not hence even of your 
lusts that war in your members, all the things you want to do, your life. Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, it says, because ye ask not. <laughs> if you're wanting things and desiring things, he said, you don't even ask me. You just go about your way of trying to get in your things. And, and it doesn't work that way as a Christian. You're his. If you're not a Christian, that's the way you do it. But you're living in the flesh again. He says, then he says, you do ask and you receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lusts. Lord, I'm I would like to really have this. I want this. I want that. Can I have this? I don't know why I can't have that. I'm, you know, all about me. Pity parties all day long. He, he then says some really harsh words. Ye adulterers and adulteresses. Those are pretty strong words. But what he's talking about is, is you, instead of living for me and seeking me and what I want and trusting me that I'll give you life, you're trusting and loving and wanting the world. He calls you adulterers and adulteresses. God is a jealous God. He wants you, all of you. For you to trust him. He's got everything, folks. He cannot fail. He made you. He's the creator. You can trust him. He already designed everything for you. You just need to fall in. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend, or he says, Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? That's what he's saying. You're sleeping with the world. That's why you're adulterer and adulteress. Whosoever there will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. You think the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. And James 4, 7, talking about the power in resisting those things. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's an amazing scripture to me. I know how strong, the Bible tells us how strong the devil is. And he says, if all these things that we talked about that we want to love, if we resist those, he says the devil will flee from you. That's an amazing thing to me. It seems like, God has put some boundaries on Satan. Hey, if they come to you and they want you, and they, you got them. But if they resist you, you, you leave. But God of all grace, verse 10 in our text, who hath called us unto his glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, Establish, strengthen, 
settle you. After that, you have suffered a while. Suffering is a part of Christian living to perfect us, mature us, you might say, establish us, strengthen us, settle us. That's some pretty good things as a Christian. Think about that. Perfect us. Mature, establish, strengthen, settle. Hebrews 2.10, For became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things and bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Heads bowed and eyes closed, pianist coming to, to play. Surely, sufferings, according to Peter, as a repetitive theme in 1 Peter, is a good thing, is a happy thing, is a joyful thing. But even what's more repeated, before we can get into suffering, we need to take stand. And we need to be willing to suffer for it. But it's a stand in an action of love to bring others to Christ, just like Jesus was bringing ones to himself. Are we doing those actions? Is that, are we living for Christ? <laughs> are we looking for opportunities? I thought of words to tell to Jason. You know, on it, quite honestly, he has every right not to believe God and go to hell. Might not like it. It's the truth. Everybody has that right. To live miserably. He's a miserable fellow, I can tell that. But I'm not doing it to condemn him. I'm praying that he might see another way. So I look to maybe talk to him just about his life, try to understand him a little more. What about you? How are you interacting? Are you just caught up with the busyness of the world and the things you're trying to achieve? The things that will all die and be left behind here. Are you avoiding things because people are going to give you down the road about it? <laughs> we need to be strong. We need to learn what the fellowship of his sufferings is all about. Amen. Thank you all for your attention. I pray the Lord spoke to you. He's, he's tweaked your heart. We need to get in ruts, folks. It's easy to see. The way to get out of ruts is to do something about it. I think if we're intentional in our witness... We need to be careful of our motives. This is not something that it ought to be in our hearts as Christians. Hey, I'm saying, 
I was on my way to hell and I got saved. Doesn't everybody deserve that, that opportunity? Doesn't that make you want to study the word of God a little more, to, uh, to, to be involved in everything you can to let God get in you and on you and with you? Or it's going to just slip by. We kind of live in, in that era of the church. <laughs> it's not very effective. It's effective at blending and having programs and music they want and the sports they want and all the things of the world. That's the attraction. So what they're saying is the world and living for God can all be the same. That's not true. They're saying that's just, those are two opposite things. You need to be preaching those and it's going to make people uncomfortable. The people go, yeah, but there's going to be some who are drawn to God and they trust Christ. Will you today determine to try to draw people to Christ to, to turn conversations into, into spiritual conversations? Would you try to do that this week? Let's pray. Father, thank you for all that's come out. I pray you've challenged us. This is good for us. It doesn't feel good in the flesh. We know that. But when we see what you do in and through our lives, Spirit, we'll be drawn to it. We'll become what Christians need to be. Now, Father, I just pray for each family today. Lord, bless their day today. May they give you honor and glory for all the good things of life, Lord, that you give us. Help us to be a strong witness, for we ask it in Jesus' name.